How many of you have seen this movie? See, a lot of adults raise their hand. And you say, oh, well, I have kids. That's why I watch this movie. We, we like these movies just as much as the kids do. I've seen this movie and my kids weren't in the room. I think Pixar does a great job of making sure there's enough humor that adults get. Right? Well, like when uh, he said, oh, what's up with guys not wanting to ask directions? Like kids wouldn't get that kind of humor. But a wife is nudging her husband going, yeah, what's up with guys not wanting to ask for directions? So we're in the series at the movies. And we do this every single year uh, in October. Or I'm sorry, in August, not October. And uh, it's one of the ways that we are able to use stories to help uh, illustrate truths. And, and, and you see this all through the Bible. Jesus used stories, Paul uses stories, and these truths that they illustrate, we still live, uh, try to live out today. And, and so uh, we've been going through this series, this is the third week, and I like it because we get to watch video clips in church. And then we have the other stuff that are added to it, like the popcorn, the candy. How many of you guys got the candy this morning? Now, hopefully you didn't stop at the candy bar and then drop your kids off and, and, and grace kids, because that would be a, a bad thing. Hopefully you're going to do that on the way out. But we try to make it fun because learning and applying scripture is a good time. My name is Ken, and I'm the location pastor here in Grace Church, and we are really glad that you're here today. Um, so we've seen the movies, and we apply truths to our lives. But for the people, the two people in this room that have not seen the movie, okay, it's about two fish. They're clownfish. It's a father and son, Marlon and Nemo. And uh, Nemo is this uh, adventurous um, you know, want to know what's out in the world. And his dad, Marlon, is one of these very overprotective parents. Doesn't want his son to leave. Doesn't want his son to go to school. Actually shows up at school. He's lecturing the teacher. And, and, and Nemo, at some point, is, is, is fed up with living in this, this structure. And he wants to experience life. And uh, he does that. And, and we're going we're to look at what goes on and what transpires. But obviously he gets lost. Because the title of the movie is... Finding Nemo. And so he gets lost, and the whole movie is about him trying to be uh, uh, rescued by his dad and the adventures that his dad has to go through, uh, the difficulties his dad has to go through to find his son. And uh, it's, it's a great picture of God's love for us because the dad goes through a lot of stuff to try to find his son. And, and, and we see that this is a picture of what God has been doing all along with us. God, our Heavenly Father, has been in pursuit of those who have gone astray. From the very, very first book in Genesis to the book of Revelation, all these stories are you see God in pursuit of those things that have gone astray. In Genesis chapter 3, we see this the very first time. It says, when the cool evening breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called out to the man, where are you? So Adam and Eve were in a perfect relationship with God. They chose to sin, and when God comes to them, he doesn't come with judgment. He doesn't come with anger. He comes to find them. He comes looking for them. Now, I don't know your experience in church or with other people who say they are followers of Jesus or religions, but I want you to know this. God loves you. And Jesus highlights this all through the scriptures, all through his teaching, that God is in pursuit of you. In Luke chapter 15, is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today, Jesus is telling three stories of something that was lost. The first thing that was lost was the sheep. The second thing was a coin. And the one that we're going to look at today is the lost son. Now, all three of them are lost for different reasons. And it really doesn't matter why they're lost. 
But all three, when they're found, you see the celebration. And so we're going to look at why the son was, was lost. Um, the first thing that I, I mean, there's three lessons that are going to come out of this that I hope you'll write down because I think these three lessons will impact and shape how we, how we live our lives. The first lesson is this. We all choose. We all have a choice. We, we all have a choice. Uh, when we watch the movie Finding Nemo, there's a point in, in, the, in the movie where his dad's overprotective. His dad actually shows up in class, and he's like, I want you to watch out for my son. I know you've got a lot of other fish uh, in your class, but uh, watch out for him. He's not a real good swimmer, and it just it ticks him off. And so Nemo makes a decision, and we're going to say that's a poor decision. Take a look at this. Excuse me, is there anything I can do? I am a scientist, sir. Uh, is there any problem? You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt things. He, he isn't a good swimmer, and... I just think it's a little too soon for him to be out here unsupervised. Well, I can assure you, he's quite safe with me. Look, I'm sure he is. But you have a large class, and he can get lost, you know, from sight if you're not looking. No, I'm not saying you're not looking. Oh, my gosh! Nemo's swimming out the sea! <gasps> Nemo! What do you think you're doing? You're gonna get stuck out there, and I'm gonna have to get you before another fish does. Get back here! I said, get back here now! Stop! You take one more move, mister. Don't, don't you dare! If you put one fin on that boat, are you listening to me? Don't touch the boat. Nemo! You touched the butt. You just patted your little tail right back here, Nemo. That's right. You were in big trouble, young man. Do you hear me? Nemo touched the butt. That's what the kids call the boat, the butt. But how many of you as parents, I mean, you saw your child in Nemo right there. It's like, you better not touch that. And the hand comes up. Don't you do it. I'll come out there. And they go, boop. That's what kids do. And so that's why I'm saying that the movies are, are incredible, even for adults, because we can identify with what's going on. And so Nemo says, this is something I want to do. I want to experience what's out there. Dad, you're overprotective. You're smothering me. There's so much out there that I want to experience. And he disobeys his dad. Well, the lost son in Luke chapter 15 has a similar experience. And we're going to read about it. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 12. It says, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide up the wealth between the two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted everything that his dad had just given to him with wild living. Now, this was something that wasn't uncommon in that the father would have some kind of estate or an endowment that he would give to his sons. The oldest son would get two-thirds of it. The younger son would get, would get a, a less portion of that. And so the younger son selfishly and pridefully uh, and impatiently comes to his dad and says, hey, I want my portion now. And essentially what he's saying to his dad, which is, it's hard to believe, but what he essentially is saying to his dad is, I wish you were dead. I would rather have your money and go do what I want to do than wait uh, for it when you pass away. Very disrespectful, very rude, and, uh, but he, he wants it, he wants it now. And so you see both Nemo and the son are both, they're, they're making choices based on what they want, what they want now. 
It doesn't matter the consequences. It doesn't matter what, how it inter- affects other relationships. They want it now. Sin is when we value something more than what God wants for us. When we disobey God and when we're selfish towards others, when we value that more than what God wants for us, that's when we find ourselves in difficulty. And there's nothing wrong with wanting an adventure or, or wanting a new job or having nice things. That's not the point. The point is when we want those things more than what God wants for us. The problem the prodigal son learned the very hard way is that you can't enjoy things money can buy and ignore the things money can't buy. And so he thought money was going to make him happy, money was going to fulfill him, and he didn't realize that he had everything that he really needed at home. So no one makes Nemo swim out to the boat. He chooses to do that. No one makes the son take the inheritance and go to a far country and waste it in wild living. And no one makes us disobey God and act selfishly towards others. We all have a choice. Let me ask you this. You ever made a choice that you knew didn't line up with Scripture or God's Word, but you thought it was a better choice? Don't raise your hand. Because anytime we make a choice outside of God's will, that's exactly what we're saying. God, I know what you're saying about relationships, but I think this is better. God, I know what you say about finances, but this is what I want to do. God, I know what you say about priorities and other areas of my life, but this is how I want to live my life. And when we do that, we're living outside God's will for our life. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't go well. A couple weeks ago uh, in James, we talked about patience. This young man is making a decision because he's impatient. Doesn't go real well for us when we make decisions and because we're impatient and we're not willing to wait on God and God's timing. I know it's not very popular to say, but there are consequences to our poor choices. I think this is something that our culture really needs to come to grips with is that there are negative consequences to poor choices. Nemo eventually will end up in a fish tank. That scuba diver was an Australian dentist that takes him back to his practice and puts him in a fish tank. And now he's a pet. Where he had all the ocean to swim in, now he's in this small aquarium because of his poor choices. I want to see where the poor choice the son makes, finally, uh, where he ends up. Look at verse number 14. It says, by the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He pursued a local farmer and, to hire him, and then the man sent him out into the fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. So here you have this Jewish young man who knows the law and that, that pigs were like an unclean animal, so they wouldn't use them to sacrifice to God. They didn't eat pork, and now he's not only feeding them, he's eating what they're eating. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm, but my grandfather um, lived in Tennessee, and he had a farm, and he had pigs. And as a kid, it was fun feeding the pigs. Yes, you would feed them corn and some grain and things like that, but the things they loved the most was called slop. Anybody know what slop is? Okay. I was going to ask anybody taste the slop, but no. So slop is this. So at the end of a meal, you would take your plate, and my, my grandfather had a bucket, and you would scrape your plate into this bucket. And you do that for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you do that for a couple of days. Now, my grandfather left it in the kitchen, which made for meals like the smell was just delicious, right? And so you would take it. Once the bucket was filled with all your leftover stuff, you would take it and you would throw it into the pigs, into the trough, and they would go crazy. 
Makes lunch sound pretty good, doesn't it? But this is what this young man is looking at, and he is so desperate. He's in such a bad spot that he's like, that actually looks pretty good. You see, when we sin, there are consequences to our sin. It creates separation from God and and really our other relationships. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and make you stay longer than you want to stay. And people say, well, why would God even give us choices then? If, if sin is that bad and it does that much destruction, why would God even give us a choice? Why would God create a tree in the garden that Adam and Eve could eat of and disobey God? And it's because God loves us. You see, you cannot have love without choice. Because if God took away all of our choice and made us love him, that's not really love. And so you cannot have love without having choice. So when we choose to disobey God, there are consequences. But luckily, God continues to love us, which leads us to the second lesson. God chooses to rescue us. We all have a choice. And even when we mess up, God still loves us and he still pursues us. Uh, You're probably familiar with uh, the verse John 3, 16. Even if you're not a very religious person, you've probably seen this on billboards or on bumper stickers or at a ball game where someone is holding up a sign saying John 3, 16. John 3, 16 essentially says that God so loved the world, he loved us, that he sent his son to die on the cross. And that if you put your belief and your trust in him, you'll not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. This is the essence of Christianity. It's the essence of being rescued by God, that God loves you so much that he's willing to pursue you and to rescue you. I want you to notice how the father pursues the son. Look at verse number 17. And when he finally comes to his senses, this is the son, after he looks at all he's doing, where he's at, what he's eating, he's like, oh, this is crazy. He said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me to be a hired servant. So he returned to his home and to his father. And while he was still a great way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he doesn't get through all of his speech because the father stops him. But the father said to the servant, Quickly, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals on his feet. Uh, Kill the fatted calf that we've been been fatting, and then when we, uh, we will celebrate and have a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and he's now returned alive. He was lost but now he is found. So let the party begin. Let the celebration begin. In each of the stories that something was lost and it is now found, we see that there is this celebration. And the father, while he didn't go pursue the son, didn't go into the far country and grab him by the ear and bring him home and say, Nemo, you never do this again. He didn't do that. He waited for the son to come to his senses, which is another word for repentance. And as he was coming back to him, The father runs and hugs him and kisses him. And I always thought that that was just something that he did because he had compassion for him and that he loved him. But I was reading this week in a commentary that gave me a different perspective of the father's um, actions that made me even realize the depths of this love. 
So when the son essentially told his father, I wish you were dead, give me, give me the money, that was very dis- disrespectful. And the law would say that if a child disrespected their parents, that they should be put to death. Now, kids today are going, I'm glad that's not the case, right? And, and so that's what would happen. They would stone him. And so the father, knowing that that was the consequence of his son's disrespectful act, when he sees the son running back to him, he runs to him because he loves him, but because if they started to stone the son, he would be in between his son and the stones, and he would get the full brunt of the stones. That is an incredible act of love. And that's what God has done for us. God has put himself in between our sins and disobedience in hell because he loves us. And that's a story that needs to be shared. See, Marlon in the, in the movie, I mean, he, he's swimming, all, like he was afraid. And he made his son afraid of going out into the ocean. So when his son was captured, he has to go find him. Now he has to go out into the ocean. And he encounters sharks. He gets swallowed by a whale. Uh, he goes into the very depths of the sea where it's really dark and there's this scary fish that's there. He does all of that because he loves his son. He overcomes his fear because of his love for his son. But all of that does not compare to God's love for us and what God went through to rescue us. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. You might feel a million miles away from God, but I want you to know God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. It doesn't matter what you've done. God knew everything that you would do in disobedience and selfishness, and he still sent his son to die on the cross. And like the the, the prodigal son, we need to come to our senses, repentance, essentially, and turn back to God. And God is waiting for us to do that. And let me just say this. Don't wait until you hit rock bottom. There's no need to do that. The son, at any point when he lost all of his money, he could have gone home. But again, it was pride that wouldn't allow him to return to his dad. Don't let pride stop you from coming back to God. All you have to do is turn around and he's waiting for you. When you realize God's love and the length that he's gone to to love you, it changes the way that you respond to God. See, God didn't rescue you just so that you'd be safe and so that you'd have a comfortable life. That's not why he rescued you. That's not why he, he forgave your sin. He rescued you, which leads me to my third, the, the third point. God rescues us to help us rescue others. God rescued us so that we could help others be rescued. There's a point in the, in the story of, of, of Nemo where he escapes the fish tank and he's swimming back out to sea to find his dad. The dad thinks that the son's dead and he's gone home, he's defeated and he hears his son and they're reunited. And this is the clip. Nemo? Daddy! Nemo? Daddy! Nemo, Tori? Nemo!
time! It's the only way we can save Dory! I can do this! You're right. I know you can. Lucky Finn! Now go! Hurry! Well, you heard my son? Come on! Dory, you have to tell everybody to swim down together! Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Swim down! So when Marlon and Nemo meet, that would have been a great ending to the story. Happily ever after. But there's a twist. This boat, this fishing boat goes overhead with this net and it draws up all these fish and their friend. And Nemo and Marlin, they can't stand by and watch their friend become dinner. They have to do something. And they hear all these fish crying out for help and their friend knowing that their friend's in danger. And they say, we have to do something. I know that we could go back home and, and live in our little reef and enjoy our little life, but we, we can't do that. They sense the need. And I think sometimes the reason that we don't share our faith is because we lack the urgency that we saw in that clip, that our friends and our family and our neighbors and the people that we love and care about, they're in desperate need to know about who Christ is and what he's done for us. And I think sometimes we lack the urgency. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. I, I, I'll do it next week. Right now is not a good time, you know? Or we'll think, you know, what will they think about me? Like, I don't want to be known as this Jesus freak. I don't want to make things uncomfortable. I don't want to make things awkward in our relationship. And so we have all these excuses why we don't tell our story or what God has done in our life. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 tells us the stakes that, that, are, that, that, that we, we need to be reminded of. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what's at stake. Those that we love and care about that are disconnected from God will spend eternity disconnected from God. In our county, only 1.7% of everyone that we know and love and care about actually go to a Bible-believing church. 1.7%. That means there's a lot of people that are disconnected from faith, and we can't be okay with them spending eternity in hell. I know we're always concerned about people in Haiti and in Afghanistan, and we should be. But what about our neighbors? What about, what about the people that are in Little League and, and, and parents and all these people that are around us that are disconnected? We should be concerned about their souls as well. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, it says this, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anybody tell them if no one is sent? This is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers that bring the good news. So in that clip, Nemo simply says, hey, God, Dad, I know what to do. Just tell him to swim down. I've seen this before. I know what to do. And so they tell him, swim down, swim down. All he was doing was just telling him about his experience and helping. And I think sometimes the reason we don't tell people is like, I don't know what to say. I've not been to Bible college. I don't know a lot of verses in the Bible. Just tell him what God did in your life. Like, what was the story of your life before you met Christ, before you came to repentance? You came to your senses and you turned to God and you asked for help. That is powerful. How did God rescue you? Just share that story. 
And we all have opportunities because we live uh, with people, around people in our lives that are disconnected from faith. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. I want you to think about the people in your life. Who are the people that you know that are disconnected from faith? It might be a family member. It might be a close friend. Maybe a coworker. Who is that? God rescued you not to make your life comfortable, but so that you'll help others be rescued. Maybe you're here today and you've made some poor choices. You're a follower of Jesus, but you've made poor choices and you're like the prodigal son that has just run off. And you find yourself in a mess. Stop running. God is there. He's waiting for you to turn around. Simply call out to him and ask for help. Maybe you're here today and for the very first time you realize the length that God has gone to to have a personal relationship with you. He's done everything necessary. He sent his son to pay for your sins and the consequence of your sin. And today you realize, you know what? I just, I need to stop running. I feel a million miles away from God. No one's looking around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, for the first time I realize how much God loves me and I want to be rescued. Would you just raise up your hand? The only person looking is me. Anyone like that? Okay, thank you. I want to pray for you. God, thank you for those that are here today and they've been rescued by you. They've experienced your love and your forgiveness and your mercy. God, it's an incredible place to be knowing that everything that you've ever done, no matter how messy your life is, God, you love us and you're willing to forgive us. But God, you did not rescue us just for, uh, to live a comfortable life. You rescued us because there's so many more people that need to hear about the love of Jesus. And God, right now I'm praying that you would bring into our minds the people in our lives that need to hear about that. And that God, we begin praying to you for opportunities to share faith with them, what Jesus Christ has done for us. And God, for the, the people who raised their hand today, said that they've gone all in, they've asked you to forgive them of their sins, they repented of them. God, I pray that you would help them in this walk of faith. God, that you would guide them and direct them, bring people into their life that help them grow in their relationship with you. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.